Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Archie Richards. And we talked back in July 2021 about his book, America's Bankruptcy Approaches, How to Resolve the Issue and Prevent It from Recurring. That was just published uh, September. And he's published another book back in 2020. The title of that book is America's Government's Enemies of the Poor. And uh, Archie has been educated. He wrote in this foreword, he's been educated by liberals at St. Paul's School in Yale. And he's also a classical pianist. But uh, he has a, uh, some details in his book about how the U.S. government is really uh, acting like they're enemies of the poor. But he can talk more about that. So Archie Richards, are you there? I certainly am, William. Nice to talk with you again. Likewise, great to have you back on the show. For people who may not have heard our earlier conversation, can you kind of talk about your law? You kind of have a history in the financial world. Can you talk about your background, professional background, and what led you kind of to write these two books, and this one in particular, America's Government's Enemies of the Poor? Well, yes, I was a stockbroker originally and a financial planner. But after I learned, uh, it takes a while to learn how to invest when you're a broker, but after I learned, I decided to become a, a newspaper columnist. And I wrote nationally syndicated columns advising people how to avoid, how to avoid brokers. <laughs> and, then, and then I went back to playing uh, professional piano, uh, concert piano. And, uh, uh, but during that time, I wrote columns every couple of weeks about government that were published in the local paper, most of them. And uh, I wrote them to friends, and I received columns, and I responded to those. And, and after the lockdown occurred in early 2020, I just I wasn't able to travel to give concerts, and I thought, what will I do? Well, I'll turn these columns into a book, and that resulted in this book that we're talking about now: America's Government's Enemies of the Poor. And so. Yeah, you don't define different parties. You just talk, call it the government itself, right? So yes. uh, can you... Well, yeah, please go ahead. Well, it, the governments of the United States don't intend to be enemies of the poor. Quite the opposite. They intend to help the poor, but they don't realize that the, that the, un, uh, the, the hidden responses, the hidden results of their policies become devastating to the poor. The bigger the government, the more the rich gain wealth faster than the poor. The smaller the government, it's the other way around, the more the poor gain wealth faster than the rich. And it's odd because the, the nomenclature or the ideology is that this government's going to help you out of poverty, but then you just see recurring intergenerational poverty from these progressive policies. Would you agree with that? I would indeed. And can you talk about how the governments are in, involved in creating poverty and maintaining poverty? Well, one of the biggest reason is that the Federal Reserve has done a miserable job of trying to regulate the economy. They have failed. And it's impossible for any government organization, in fact, any organization, to regulate the economy because the economy is too complicated and there's too much about it to, to cause any, any individual or any, any uh, institution to, to be on top of it. The, the economy outstrips it. <laughs> and in fact, 
the the economy the the government thinks that it can prevent the economy from becoming over or too 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 active by by controlling uh, prevents the economy they try to prevent the economy from becoming over happy <laughs> and uh, and and but nobody knows when the economy is is essentially over happy too act, too active nobody knows when it is and the government almost always misinterprets when that occurs right and the tries to when the economy is down it tries to bring the economy up well the economy the, the government doesn't know when the economy is too far down and its efforts in these regards causes the economy to become much too volatile way up and way down the economy would be far less volatile if the government just stayed the heck out right but I would you would you say like I think some of the volatility is intentional right since so they benefit from price increases and decreases over time, particularly if they know they're occurring. I think people with money then, you know, they, they're able to buy low, sell high uh, with that cyclical, the cyclical movement of the market. And you flat out said, I think in your last book too, that we should get rid of the Federal Reserve for a variety of different reasons and go back to the gold standard, right? Yes, exactly. The Federal Reserve has been, been much more done much more harm than good and it should i think it should be uh, uh done away with and the uh the monetary system of the united states should be delegated to the people you don't even need the gold standard I, in the first book i say the gold standard in the second book i say no not even the gold standard just have the pe people with the banks can create money when people borrow and uh, so it will be the people will decide when they need the money and when they don't. And that will cause the economy to be much less volatile. Right. And, and wasn't, I mean, isn't it constitutional that the government bank is supposed to be held by the government, not by uh, some kind of weird conglomeration of people who are in the Federal Reserve, which isn't a government entity, right? It, it well, creates as one. In effect, it is. They they say that it's not government, but in effect, the federal the Federal Reserve is indeed or acts certainly acts like a member of the government. And in fact, when they incur profits, they pay those profits to the Treasury. So they're tied in with the government very closely. And you better believe that they read the newspaper every day. And when things happen that they feel are are, are harmful to the image of the Fed, they re react to it. Oh, they're very much involved with the economy. Yeah, and you said you wrote in your book any organization with 400 PhD economists on staff is likely to be wrong most of the time. Yes, <laughs> um, because, because they develop group think. And what, what other problems do you see that the Federal Reserve creates? Well, I think the big one is health care. The health care, it should be that the, the insurance policy should handle the way they do with fire insurance. You, when you have a fire insurance, you pay your deductible, and then the, 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 the insurance picks up the balance. That's true insurance. Well, with health care, that's not the case. Instead, 
the, the, the insurance company and the government pays the first dollar. Now they require you to co to pay co-payers, co-pays, but the result of them paying most of the fell's first dollars means that the individuals don't know what the costs are. They don't care what the prices are, and therefore they they tend to waste money. They tend to see doctors when they don't really need to, and they go to places that are more expensive when they don't really need to, because it doesn't matter. Somebody else is paying. Why shouldn't they? Right. Wasn't one of that was one of Trump's kind of things was to show or have transparency in costs so that people knew and even the government knew government knew what the actual real costs were instead of just getting a bill at the end of the procedure. Right. Yes. Exactly. And that, that would have caused that would have helped with the transparency. I think you wrote that how the Congress could save billions on health care. Can you talk more about that? The, the, the government should could save millions of billions, in fact. I think that the, the health care costs in the United States are twice as high as they should be. They should be 7% of the economy instead of being 14%. And the way that happens is by, by government getting the heck out of it and having insurance policies cover the last dollar of the health care costs, not the first dollar. And I think that individuals should have an insurance policy with a fairly large deductible, say two or three thousand dollars. And everything that you every health care cost that you have comes first out of that deductible. But gotcha. after the deductible is gone, then the insurance companies pays a hundred percent of what's left. And right. if you don't spend all of the deductible, it's carried over to a future year. And the deductible gets larger and larger. And, uh, and that means that you are very much aware of what the costs are. And the costs are, as they are now, are much too high. For example, in hospitals, they have many too many people working for them. It's top heavy. It's almost kind of like the government. Like there's unnecessary costs built into the entire system. I think a lot of it's really intentionally. They don't show you the cost because it would prevent you from going or incurring costs. I know a lot of people who just don't even go to the hospital because of the hidden costs and the, the imp implications of that, especially if you can't pay it, your credit or something like that. Yes. But uh, it's got even worse. You talk about how the medical schools have, have been politicized. Can you talk about that? Well, I, I only speak of it in terms of, of one of the schools. It's, it's the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, their medical school, they, they're very much influenced by by the government approach to health care. And they really aren't concerned about cutting the cost of the people. They're concerned, uh, and they, they like to have the authority uh, given to the people who run things rather than the authority given to the people who can decide by what the true costs are. Right. So they have all these requirements and guidelines and things like that, that take it out of the hands of the doctors. I mean, can you talk about, you talk your, your, your about 37 ways the government hurts the poor. We've talked about healthcare, federal reserve. What else uh, on your list are other things that the deep maintain poverty? Yeah. The deep state is a is actually it's about two billion people deep, and it's much too big. And uh, those those bureaucrats have too much power. 
they not only can decide what to, they, they become a legislature as well as enforcement. And uh, they decide what they should do and they should decide what regulations should be imposed. And then they enforce those regulations. And uh, they have a, com a commitment to, or that is, they don't operate by profit because the government doesn't have profit. And profit in the private sector keeps costs down. But in the government, the people, the bureaucrats in the government, they don't care what the costs are because they get the job, they get, they keep their work, no, they keep being employed no matter what they do. And uh, they don't care what the costs are. And also they like to exercise power. Government is the only part of society which is permitted to to use force, and the bureaucrats love to do that. And uh, there's much too much force being exercised throughout the economy, which causes violence everywhere. The more violence you get from the government, the more violence you get in the private sector. Government should just calm down, get out of people's lives get out of people's health care and 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 I think that the the I think that the federal is no I think that the uh, 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 the that the, that the civil service should be done away with and that would enable us to get rid of those two million extra bureaucrats and they can go into the private sector and do something useful for a change instead of causing harm. Right, and the private sector has makes those changes faster than a centralized government. And really, anything, education, business, yeah. things like that. So the there's always been that argument against big government as as um, an impediment to innovation and change that happens in the marketplace. Why do you think many of these people called liberals or leftists think that this progressive, top down? Um, government that goes back to Wilson or even before that uh, is something that is a credit to, they keep thinking it's a credit to the to the impoverished or poor class, but then that poor class never changes or doesn't, not as many people come out of poverty. If you look at people who've come out of poverty, they haven't done it through government programs, right? No. They right. thought for many years, they really genuinely thought they were doing the right thing. But now, I don't believe they they do. They, I think that now they're just in it for the power. They like to exercise power. They feel that's the most important thing in their lives of, for these liberals who are running the government. They want power over other people's lives, and they'll do anything to continue that power and, and increase it. They're no I think they no longer care whether they're helping the poor. And I don't see any evidence of that. They merely, they say in their speeches they do, but I don't see it in their policies. They just want power. Right, and so it, it benefits the people at the top, the politicians, if they maintain state payouts to certain significant amount of sections of the population, 40%. I mean, it's kind of funny to call the U.S. a capitalist society when a significant proportion, a third to 40% of the population are receiving some form of financial benefit yes so it's not we're not a capitalist society so the the complaints of the left are actually kind of funny they're not based in reality um 
Can you talk about what these payments do, the, how the incentive structure changes for people on welfare or for people, uh, you know, getting Social Security or things like that? Uh, oh, people on Social Security, uh, when, when, the, when you die, the Social Security ends. Well, that means the sooner you die, the less money you get from Social Security. And the people who, who have the lowest uh, uh, life expectancy are black males. The people with the longest life expectancy are white women. And that means that black males are helping black are helping white women to sustain themselves. And it's 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 racist, in fact, although not intended to be so. Uh, but that's one of the ways that Social Security creates poverty. It means that the, that, the, that the poor are helping the rich. Another way that uh, is licenses. Uh, people, there's so many professions now that require a license to operate. And, and this enables people who are in the business they lobby for those licenses so as to restrict the number of people getting into those businesses. And that enables those people to have higher wages. So right, the, it's the artificial scarcity, right? Yes. So the costs go up. Well, the poor who cannot get those licenses because it requires a couple of years of training, and they don't have time to pay for that all that, the time or money to pay for all that. So they don't get those jobs, but they do have to pay the higher costs. They get hit twice. They're unable to get the high-level jobs, and they do have to pay the higher costs. Right. So you just see these things. Like, it's almost stacked. Like, these, so many policies are in place that they're really the poor have. It's really kind of the maintenance of an underclass or a system that makes it very hard to get out. But if you look at success stories, like I said, they're all people who did either something sports, uh, entertainment. They found a niche, and they, you know, they basically maximized or capitalized on that and got out of uh, kind of grinding po poverty. I mean, what are some of the other things that are keeping people down? The lockdowns. Lockdowns. Let's talk about that. The lockdowns. They they lockdowns cause people to work at home. Well, the people who can most easily work at home are the rich. Well, not I mean really rich, but people who are making really good salaries. They can work at home when they're making over $100,000. But people with $50,000 and above, they're less likely to work at home. And the people who are not rich at all, they aren't able to work at home. They don't get jobs that are, they don't have jobs that enable that. They have to leave home. To, to work. Right, they're basically like a labor class, right? A working class. Exactly, exactly. And also the lotteries. Oh, the lotteries. <laughs> the lotteries are make the rich, they, they, the lotteries are, are advertised in the poor areas, encouraging people or giving people the impression that if they just spend their money on the lotteries, they can make it big and that will relieve them of their poverty. Well, it doesn't work. The very the chances of you're making big in the lotteries are extremely low, and the chances are that if you do the lotteries on a consistent basis, you're going to lose about half the money you put into it. Right. So you're going to get bled out, and then the money goes back. Some gets redistributed, but then it perpetuates big government because 
a lot of that money goes to the state or whatever health, uh, not healthcare, but education. And the people who are in the, most of the lotteries are, are state governments, but it enables the state legislatures to avoid raising some of the taxes because people like the lotteries, although they're mistaken in, in liking it, but they like the lotteries and, and, uh, and, and that brings in money to the government. And so that's money that the, gov- that the legislatures in the state don't have to uh, uh, bring in through taxes. And that avoids them getting the honor owner or the onerous job of raising taxes. They don't like to do that. And what other elements in the lock, didn't the Locktown transfer in additional monies to the wealthy? Like, wasn't it the most money that was printed which benefits the wealthy and that a lot of these payouts really didn't go. I mean, the, the lower class or the poor class received the least benefit. Well, uh, first the government brings in money uh, from the lotteries or from, from other sources. And the first people it pays are its own bureaucrats. That's a big, big cost because the bureaucrats make about 70%, including their benefits, they make about 70% more money than private sector people do with the same equivalent jobs. And, and because the lottery, because the bureaucrats make so much money, that means that the, that the area codes around Washington, D.C. are the wealthiest area, area codes in the nation. Yeah, well, there you go. So they're making money. The government makes money at the expense of the poor people. Um, yeah. And, and then, like globally, you write that like 60 million people are thrown into extreme poverty because of the oh, absolutely because of the lockdown. So it wasn't just the U.S. No, it's, but the, but it's the slowdowns in the Western developed nations have caused millions of people in the pure poor nations to starve. Right now, another call. Another big issue that uh, that where the money goes, other than the, you know, the bureaucrats, is that they, when a when a legislature, legislator, he in order to get reelected, he needs money to spend for his renomination and reelection, and where does he get the money from? He gets them from rich people, and the rich, pe- including unions, and those. People pay money to the to the legislatures to help them get reelected, and most of the people that they support like that are liberals, and uh, and that means that well now the legislature is in a position where he can reward the people that helped him get reelected, and 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 so he helps them, like for example with the Jones Act, which helps the uh, unions the seem. Uh, the Siemens unions uh, are helped enormously by the Jones Act uh, that, that requires that the United States use you know, ships that are made in the United States and manned right. by ships by by Americans, and it's it it's a it's a big boondoggle for the for the shipping uh, for the shipping unions. And I think and, you wrote you wrote in your book that Puerto Rico has to import its gas from like Russia or something because of the Jones Act, right? Exactly. They're not allowed to, uh, they cannot find ships to transfer money from the United States, which is right close by. And no, they have to get it from Russia, which is far away. 
it's crazy. So that's another problem. I mean, the lockdowns too, the the impact, the emotional and psychological impact was more, you would agree or argue that it was worse than the death count or death rate. Would you agree with that? I certainly would. I think that the government should have done absolutely nothing about COVID-19 and do nothing about any health issue. Almost mm. everything the government does creates more problems than they solve. And without the government involved, the people would have, they, they would not have worn masks and masks do not do any good. They don't keep out the virus, and but they do cause the atmosphere inside the mask to be a wretched atmosphere. It's the same as an atmosphere of a very poorly ventilated room. So masks do no good. The I think that the vaccines cause are now causing more deaths than their savings. That's what seems to be the case, yeah. And yeah. you write that there were already remedies before these shots were implemented, yes. right? Exactly, but the remedies were cheap. Right. And, it's and just a massive was, scam. I mean, the, that, the, the vaccine, that, these shots are a massive, massive scam. That didn't help the, form, the pharmaceutical industry, who pays big money to, for legislators to get reelected. And, but they don't, they don't want you to buy stuff or use exclusively use stuff that are cheap because they don't make much money out of that. Right. And you can see there's a video out there of how many people on the corporate media had Pfizer as a sponsor. It's an incredible ethical breach and a conflict of interest to have Pfizer financing or backing Fox News or MSNBC. And you wrote that hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin have been effective, affordable, safe. But that and, you know, you could probably throw ivermectin in there, but those are cheap, well-known drugs. So uh, and that's why Fauci should be arrested, in my opinion. I mean, these guys are criminals. Oh. The idea of, of paying somebody to develop a vaccine that's dangerous for the whole world, to me, it's just it's crazy. Crazy. And it's like a new kind of technology, too. It wasn't like your standard old kind of uh, piece of a virus type of vaccine. So it was yeah. a different technology. Unproven, the, U, the Emergency Authorization Act, some of those should never have been signed. They're terrible contracts. Uh, for the populations that Pfizer was able to get those through too. So there's, and that's just a huge unnecessary cost. You made all these pharmaceutical companies extremely wealthy and uh, they propagandized the people. It was a disaster. It's an ongoing disaster right now. Yes. Um, and it plays into the Chinese who are in the interest of weakening America. It's in their interest to do so. And, uh, and certainly the, 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 uh, the COVID-19 did exactly that. It sure did. It really, and there's still going to be ongoing problems. I hate to say that, but uh, we're not out of the woods yet. So, uh, what else? What else do you see as governments kind of uh, having a negative influence on the poor? Rent controls. Rent control. Can you talk about that? Rent controls. They, they, they. Rent controls enable people who stay in a in a in a uh, an apartment for a long time to keep their costs low. And but the people who come into the the new people coming into print, they pay high costs. Now the people who are are in a position to stay in a in a uh, in a in a in an apartment for a long time, those are people whose lives are relatively uh, uh, steady, 
and they have they may not be wealthy, but they certainly have enough income to support themselves for a long time. And but the people that are new people coming in that have to pay the high rents, they are people who are not whose lives are not who are more volatile, uh, more unsteady, and they don't have a lot of income. And they but they're the ones that have to pay the uh, the higher rent. But the fact that we have the rent control means that that the instead of the government enabling the private sector to build more housing, instead they try to control the cost of rent by by rent control and and keeping those rent costs down. So rent crazy, yeah, it's a great point. Kept down by new housing, but but. Right. Uh, but that well, that's the whole thing. You know, after World War II, they, a lot of smart people were thinking after the war. They had the GI Bill, but they also uh, supported brand new communities. The government helped private business create low, cheap housing where you could pay it off. And something went wrong in our government. It's just like you don't see that happening. In my generation and the generation, they are out of home ownership. Something that my parents, it was very accessible. But now... Uh, it's not, and it's because that the government's corrupt and is creating this poverty. They're just total losers. It's such a joke. Uh, yes. It's really contemptible what they've done. We have the it's the most corrupt government I've ever seen, and probably in American history, just the most incompetent and corrupt. It's disgusting. One I of mean, the interesting things I do you want to add to that? Well, it's the bigness that causes the dysfunctional dysfunction. The bigger the government, the more dysfunctional it becomes. Yeah, I agree with that. One of the interesting things that I saw in your book, which I, which I didn't expect, was your belief that prostitution could should be legalized. Can you talk about that? Yes. Prostitution, I see no problem with, with women who need money to get so by selling their bodies. I don't have a, a moral problem about that. And I, I the same by the same token, drugs should be allowed to be legal. People should be allowed to hurt themselves. I'm not saying that the prostitutes do that, but some of them do. And the, the way they get the prostitutes are hurt is because, the, because prostitution is illegal. Therefore, it attracts people, mostly men, who, who are willing to disobey the law, who get control over these prostitutes and who disabuse them and keep their income down in order to benefit the the guy who's who's running the show. And all of that would disappear if prostitution would become legal, then the prostitutes themselves would gain the money. And I think that the most successful prostitutes would would become we uh, would become uh, Forget the word. They would be wealthy. They would get out of poverty. That's for sure. They would get out of poverty. That's well, I mean, just to add to that, I don't know if you've heard of this only fans kind of thing where their women are not prostitutes, but they kind of promote themselves, you know, like erotically. But those those women are making real money. So it's outside of this illegal thing. So it's legal to do it. My point is that this kind of libertarian view, the women actually get the money. So it goes from their clients directly to them, not through a pimp. Yes. And to add to that about your arguing about drug control or drug legalization, marijuana, I live in California, marijuana was illegal. And they thought, oh man, if 
if we make this legal, the sky's going to fall and the world will end. It'll be Armageddon. They made it legal. It's above board. The people are making money. It's taxed. And it actually, I, I think there were statistics that showed that the increase didn't change. So it didn't create more demand. It just it just transferred the demand something above board. And, uh, uh, you know, so there's not sketchy people getting shot or weird yeah. kind of drug things. And I think it's a mistake here. They should allow, they're not allowing the dispensaries to use the banking system, which is a huge mistake. I think they should be able to use the uh, dispensaries. I agree. And, but I, I agree. I think the anti, I think the drug laws, people have to be courageous and just legalize all the drugs. Yes, I agree. I and so. this would cause the price of drugs to go down, which would make uh, people who are stealing women's uh, handbags less likely to do that because they wouldn't make as much money. Yeah, and it just would change the whole dynamic of society. I mean, it really I, I would. I yeah. express that correctly. They would need the money to to uh, uh, provide them with drugs. They wouldn't need as much money to do that because the cost of the drugs would go down, and therefore they would be less likely to steal. Right, so all those social kind of effects, secondary, tangential effects from drugs, a lot of those would be lessened. Like the police wouldn't be as active and involved in this stuff. So those resources could be put to better use. I just, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think that drug legalization is the way to go or, you know, regulated or something like I know they legalized all drugs in uh, the Netherlands and the same thing happened. It didn't increase drug usage. It just stabilized it. And then the government kind of controlled it. So you can go to like government places where you can buy heroin from a third party, but use there so that it's totally cleaned it up and it's above board. There's not this furtive um, underground alleyway type thing. So yeah, some of your ideas are good. And it, that would also help poverty. Your theme is that those people wouldn't be spending as much for their drugs and not having to maintain the recidivism rates, going to jail, the criminalization. Yeah. And even better if the government has no in activity at all, no influence whatsoever in the use of drugs, that would make it even better. Yeah. I mean, would you, def I mean, I feel like you're either on the edge of libertarianism or a flat out libertarian. Oh, I'm a libertarian. libertarian. Yeah. Okay. I didn't see that description of you in there, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the people are very afraid to have that that much liberty. Honestly, I think that there's an inherent psychological position where people think like the world's going to end if they legalize drugs. But like alcohol is legal, and it's it's probably the worst drug ever. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Um, what else? What else have we missed? Or you know? it's been 115 years uh, since we had uh, uh, since the government was only 10 percent of the GDP. And, and, the, and the government was much more liberal and uh, libertarian then, although it wasn't as libertarian as I think it should be. But uh, it's been 115 years. That's, that's three generations. People just don't, they're not aware of the possibility of the government being small. True. They're very, and you can see this mandates, all this stuff is like you've seen the big government go and turn into a beast, like a really ugly overarching um very imposing presence where it really shouldn't be i mean i think yeah. i think washington famously said in his first uh presidential speech was the government that governs best governs least 
And we're at the opposite of that, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would indeed. And, and Washington also said government is force. And, right. uh, and force is, should be minimized. Another fate feature that's much in the news, minimum wage. You know, there's about 600,000 people who make less money than minimum wages because they, their newspaper, they deliver newspapers, they work on, in the agricultural fields, they work in other fields where, oh, they work for small businesses which are not subject to the, to the minimum wage. And there's about 600,000 people who work for less money than the minimum wage. Well, if minimum wages are raised, the number of people who benefit from that are greatly exceeded by the number of people who get fired from the high wages and go to work for the companies that pay less than minimum wage. Right. So once they start raising the minimum wage, companies let go of those employees. I mean, they're already seeing that problem now. They've already tried to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour but the employers are making changes to not employ people as much as they did before. Have you heard those stories? I certainly have. And the ones who really are favor the minimum wage are the unions. And I think that the govern, government, the unions as they exist today, they exist only because of government laws which support the unions and those laws should be repealed. Now we should have unions, but they should not have the support of government, and uh, and they would be much less rich, and they would be much less damaging. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of changes we could make, that's for sure. But this government, I mean, is all. I mean, our government, in my opinion, in the U.S., is headed toward tyranny if they're not there right now. So people really got to kind of sit up in their chairs and start start thinking about some changes that should be made. What else do you, I mean, we're kind of coming to an end here, Archie. Anything else you'd like to add? Anything we missed? Well, they, the people can make the changes in the elections of 2022 and the, more importantly, the election of 2024. That is an, that is an opportunity for the, the people to entertain a revolution, a, a, a peaceful revolution. Peaceful. Assuming the vote counts, right? Assuming that uh, one person, one vote. Not uh, some votes that show up in a fraud box the day after the election, right? 50,000 yes. votes or something. Yes, and we want the election. I think the 2020 election was indeed corrupted. Oh, super corrupt. It was, It was. yeah. They. I mean, they just waited for all the votes to come in and just added a bunch after. To exactly. It's not very complex. Uh Archie, it's great to talk with you again, and congrats on this book and your other book. And uh, you don't have social media, but if people want to reach out to you, they can send in, ask questions or anything. They can send an email to you, right? Exactly. And your email is Archie, A-R-C-H-I-E-R, -E for Richard, 71 at gmail.com. Again, ArchieR71 at gmail.com. And... Uh, just a really interesting book, a lot thought-provoking book, and uh, I think people need to think anew and kind of get books like this and get get their uh, wrap their hands around how big the government really is. So, congrats, to Archie, and thanks for uh, joining me again. Thanks, William. I appreciate it. All right, take care. Have a good day. You too. Stay there. Stay there.